0: Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Abundant Life Church, where we believe that God is a good God. He loves you, and he wants to bless you. Now join us as we dive into today's message. I am so excited over what God has for us, and I I think sometimes that we, as the people of God, forget that we are the people of God. the people of God are people that simply have surrendered their lives to Him. As many as received Jesus, to them He gave power to become the sons of God or the children of God. That's a decision that is made. But once you have received Him, you need to learn something about your family. Amen? There's something about a family If you, you know, families have identities, by the way. I mean, if if I make certain statements, you draw certain conclusions because there's certain identification that's put with those people. If I said John F. Kennedy, you immediately go back, you've got an identification there. We know that he comes from wealth. We know that he was assassinated. I mean, we can go through the process, you understand? We know he was former president. There's an identification there in his family. If I say, in New York, if I say Rockefeller, all you gotta do is go to Rockefeller Center, you understand the identification of the family. Come on, stay with me, folks. I'm really going somewhere with this. If 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 we identify and say, this, if, if I said, this is Bill Gates' daughter. You immediately, it don't matter who she is, but you know the name Gates, so you automatically put her into an identified multi-billion dollar position. Even though he says, I'm not going to leave my billions to my kids. Isn't that funny? Because your family, when you identify with the family, that's how everybody else sees you. And I want to talk to you today over the fact that as the family of God, that God has... Is said to us, our identification is found in how we represent him and his family. How I represent the kingdom of God. That, that my position in life is how, do, as a child of God, do I represent the family. Not do I make people happy. Not do I, I, I try and uh, lift myself up. It's just that when you see me in my actions and my and my attitude and, and, and the way that I deal with life, it, does that make you realize that there's a God in heaven? It was funny. The other day I was with a Teddy. We were playing golf on Thursday. And they put a gentleman with us, and nice guy, really super nice guy, but every other word was F this and GD this. And, and Ted and I just kept playing. We didn't say a word to him. So about the ninth hole, he stopped and looked at me. He said, "Uh, I need to quit swearing, don't I? I said, just tells me who you are. As happy as he tried to be, I knew there was something inside that was broken, or he wouldn't be talking the way he was talking. So we finished playing at the end of the day, he came and apologized to us. He said, I'm so sorry for the language I used. We never told them we were ministers. We never told them that we were Christians. I didn't pull my track out and say, hey, (laughs) you're going to hell. I want you to know that right now. And and real quick, (laughs) because I'm not a judge or jury. That's from him and God. So I couldn't make some kind of statement. You understand? But Christians sometimes have a tendency to want to tell other people what it's supposed to be like to be Christ-like when they don't live it themselves. So I I have to get a hold of that. I want to talk to us today about how we are going to identify in the family of God and present to the world who we are. Now, it's important that we we begin to understand certain principles. Number one, we know that as we have received Christ, we now have been given the ability and the power to be a child of God, to be in the family of God. So I'm in the family. Now, in the family of God, he says this. Remember this, that now that you're in the family, your elder brother is never going to leave you or forsake you. He's going to always be there. Now that, that's important because sometimes we forget that when we go through some difficult times that he's still there. When we're walking through Yeva, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with you. I'm a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So it's important that we, as the family of God, that we identify with the fact that no matter what the storm is, he's still there. That's real important. Now, the other side of that coin is this. It's because we're part of the family of God, he said that he will empower us for success. He says, you're going to triumph always in Christ Jesus that you may give off a fragrance that others will sense God's presence and power because you're walking in victory. Now, part of the problem with that is we've taken our Christianity and we've laid it down and we said, well, it's not God's will for everybody to be blessed. I don't want to be a part of that family. I don't want to be a part of a family where my older brother is blessed more than me. My older brother gets more benefits than I get. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not the favorite, so therefore I'm not the bottom man of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the totem pole, so to speak. That's not who God is. He said, I'm no respecter of persons. But we've changed our theology to accommodate our tragedy. So we can feel good about being a loser. It must be God's will. And we, and we, not my will, but thy will. Well, what is God's will? God said you're above and not below. You're the head and you're not the tail. God said if I be for you, who can be against you? God says you're more than a conqueror. God said no weapon formed against you can prosper. So I'm struggling here. You understand my my position. As a pastor, it's easy to fall into the syndrome that when somebody goes through something, say, well, it's just God trying to show you something. Rather than, it's the enemy trying your faith as to who you are. See, what's going on here is your identity is being challenged. Jesus was on the cross because he refused to lay down his identity when Satan came and tempted him. And so he put him on the cross, and because he chose not to forsake his identity, he looked at those who had crucified him and those who had had done him so difficult and so wrong and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I refuse to let my circumstance change my identity. Mm. My wife had cancer. Didn't change her identity. When I flatlined on the table and died and came back from the heart attack, didn't change my identity. Come on. No situation should ever change your identity in the family of God. So I want to talk to you about the fact that as a believer, and I want you to mark this down, but as a believer, success has no options. I am essential. Success has no options. I am. Come on, tell somebody, say, you are essential. Wow. How many times people feel like they're nobody and nobody cares and nobody listens and I've got nothing to offer. And, 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 we, and then we come up with great things like, if I had it, I would give it. No, you wouldn't. You're not giving what you got. <laughs> That's another story altogether, but it's important that we realize right where we are. Remember, remember the, 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 in the in the book of Matthew over the 25th chapter, he gives a story of the talents. He gave to one five, he gave to another one two, and another one one. But you've got to read it, it says he gave according to their ability. So everyone was essential. in the the master's plan and everyone had been equipped for success but some have excelled more than others. So the one who got five must have learned how to excel more in his identification with the master's plan than the one with two or the one with one. Now he gave according to their ability but he said now take what I've given you and what I've taught you and identify yourself with my kingdom. The one with five, he multiplied five more. Oh, God must have loved him more No, He gave him according to his ability. The one with two, he multiplied it. He, he multiplied just like the one with five multiplied. So watch this. So the one with five has gone to 10. The one with two has gone to four. How long is it going to take the one with four to get to where the five has been? won't be long if he keeps multiplying. The one with one, I love that. That's where most of us sit. We sit in our seats of do nothing. We're not essential. I can't do anything, so I'll just come to church and be blessed. Music loud, but I talked to him about that because I got let him know how I feel about it. Now I'm not gonna sing in the choir. I'm not gonna play an instrument. I'm not gonna get involved with the with the uh, technology of this. But the music's too loud, and I'm quitting. You know why? Because you got one talent and you refuse to use it. People who use their talents never quit because when they use their talents, God multiplies it. Why? Because you're essential. You're essential. Jeremiah, excuse me, uh, Psalms 139. Let's go to Psalms 139. We're going to look at verses 13 through 16. Put that up on the screen, please. For you formed my inward parts and you covered me in my mother's womb. Next verse. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Take a moment, don't look at the screen, look at a person next to you and go, wow. Some of you don't think you're fearfully and wonderfully made, do you? Listen, I am five foot six. My favorite game in all the world is basketball. (laughs) It's real easy for me to get down on myself. (laughs) But what you don't know is I played basketball in college. I was a starting guard my last two years. I averaged 18 points a game. Our starting team was 6'7", 6'10", 6'7", 6'3", and me. You know why? Because I used what I enjoyed in the game, and I worked on it summer, winter, spring, all the time. And I said one day, the little short guy is going to play with the big boys. Now y'all laugh, but you see, it's what I did with what I had, not with what I didn't have. I could have walked around and said, "My God, he's six foot ten. I'm never going to make it." So what did I have to do? I had to learn to be quicker. I had to learn to be smarter. And I certainly had to learn to shoot from out at the three-point range. Wow. Some of you are looking at me like, whoa. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made in spite of what the world says I look like. In spite of what other people may think. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous. This is talking to God now. Are your works... And that my soul know I know that. Next verse. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lower parts of the earth. Next verse. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written. Did you get this? Before you were ever formed, the book was already written for your life. Talk about that in a moment. The day is fashioned for me. The days are fashioned for me. Guys, I'm not having a bad day if I'm letting God lead me. Because if God's leading me, this day has been fashioned for me. And that's hard we have to go up against so many things and we have to come up against so many walls and so many obstacles and, and, and you got to keep a right spirit and, and, and you got to stay focused and don't, don't let people, places and things get in your spirit because the enemy uses that to distract you. Don't get mad at people just because they don't understand that God has it under control. Your eyes saw my substance being yet informed, and in your book they were, that were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. Next verse. Can we go to one more verse, 17, for a moment? I know we said 16, but I don't want to read 17. 139, I'll read it. You got it? How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them? How precious are your, it's not my thoughts. Come on. Okay, let's move a little bit further this morning. Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Remember what he said about his thoughts earlier? Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Come on, look at somebody and say, you have no idea what God has for you. And It's all positive. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Now stop right there. Do me a favor, look at a person next to you and say, never ever ask me to pray for you to be blessed. You already are. I will pray for you to see what God has done for you. Come on, church. Come on, church. Oh, God. How many times people, Pastor, pray for God to bless me. No, I don't want to do that. Then they get upset at me. I go, I don't want to pray to you to be blessed. You're already blessed. I'm going to pray for you to have a revelation of what God's done. Next verse. Verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Wow. He chose us before the world was created. Before Genesis 1 1, in the beginning, God created. Before that, God chose you. So you were in God before you were in your mother's womb. That's why abortion is so horrible. I'll leave it right there. But God chose us before the foundations of the world. I'm chosen of God. That's really important for me to get a hold of. Proverbs chapter 24. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. The wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. Next verse. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Hmm. Why are we talking about through wisdom a house is built? Because the Bible says, as a people of God, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says, the only way you can deal with that temple of the Holy Spirit is through wisdom. Wisdom is not knowledge. We have a lot of knowledge in the world. We know a lot of stuff, but we don't know how to handle our stuff. Just look around us. Look at the world. More inventions are being brought forth today than ever in the history of mankind, and we've never been so messed up in the world as we are today. Because we don't have the wisdom to deal with the knowledge that is now being poured out. You understand? Wisdom, according to the scriptures, it is the ability not just to identify what is going on, but how to handle it. As a parent, you understand, you need a lot of wisdom. Come on, you know what I'm saying? Because I can have a knowledge of some things, but if I don't operate in wisdom, my knowledge can come across as I'm so strict in certain areas that my kids think that I'm mean. I don't know if y'all ever had your kids think that about you. But I had to use wisdom in teaching my kids that I don't want you to do certain things because I have a knowledge of what it can do. But here's the deal. I'm training you to be a thoroughbred and not a riding pony. So in order for you to be a thoroughbred, you can't do what the rest of these ponies out here are doing. Because you're chosen, because you're special, because God has a plan for you. And God has put you in my life as my child. I'm a steward here. Therefore, see, wisdom helps you produce and to present knowledge for people to be able to have operational ability. And when you do that, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. In other words, Everything that you put yourself into, it becomes successful. Wow. But I'm not going to put myself into something that is not what God has ordained. You understand what I'm saying? If I'm not doing what God has ordained for my life, I've got a problem. I've got to move into what God has ordained for my life. Proverbs 23 and 7, it says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the first thing I have to do is I have to begin to identify myself as a child of God in the family of God. What do I believe about me? What do I think about when it comes to me? And I'm telling you, the poor self-image is, is rampant in the world today and in the body of Christ. We feel so, if I hear one other person say, I'm so unworthy. Stop it. God made you worthy. If you go to the Mercedes dealership and you walk in and they got a car sitting there, maybe, maybe not, but they got one there now. The way things are going. And it has a sticker on that window. And it lists all the things that's in that car. And at the bottom line, it says, this is what this car's value is. Why? Because the maker of that car establishes the value of that car. Right? So if you're fearfully... And wonderfully made by God, and chosen before the foundations of the world were laid. And my thoughts towards you are good for a future of hope and blessing. Why would you say you're unworthy? Oh, let me see. God so valued you, he gave his only begotten son who died on a cross for your sin. He says in the epistles that the blood that Jesus shed, the precious blood of Jesus, in the original text, it says a blood that cannot be identified with the value that it carries. It's, in other words, we can't put a sticker on it and say, This is how much that blood was worth. He took that which could not be, could, cannot identify the value, is so mass and so, so, so massive and is out there. And he took that and he laid it down. And he said, "Here, so that you can be saved." Now, you tell me, what's your value? And you're going to say, "I'm unworthy." That's a lie. That is a religious lie that they, they propagated on us. When I was in seminary, they did it to us. When I was when I, I was going through the regular uh, uh, my master's degree, they, they, they had took <laughs> one theology book. I just took them through it now, and threw it down. I said, "I'm not writing another paper about this nonsense." Why? Because it doesn't identify with the Bible. It identifies with religious thinking. It identifies with denomination. It identifies with, with this, is, this is the tradition we've had in the church because we justify our failures. It must be that God wants some of us to fail and some not to fail. And when you fail, you just know God's trying to teach you something. You need to learn how age hey, you're going through the failure. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. What's well, two and two? You sure? How do you know that? Oh, somebody taught you the truth about Numbers. Oh, I see. So when you know the truth, if I said two and two is three, you'd (laughs) go, right, Pastor? Right? Because you know I'm wrong, right? How do you know that I'm wrong? Because you know what's right. So how's God going to teach you what's right by teaching you wrong? He teaches you what's right so you don't identify with what's wrong. Come on, church. God's a good God. He's not religious. He doesn't change to accommodate anything. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, glory to God. I said glory to God. Now, as we look at this, I want you to be able to write some things down today. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What I believe about myself is I have value. What I believe about myself is I'm a child of God. What I believe about myself is that God has given me the right to come boldly to the throne of grace in the time of need and to call unto him. And he said he will answer and show me great and mighty things. The heart decides your destination. Get that in your spirit. My heart decides my destination. It's what's in your heart. I can be around somebody, and they can tell me all kind of stuff. But you know all I got to do? Can I see your checkbook for a moment? I'll tell you what you believe in and what you don't believe in. Say, really? Yeah. That's the reason we have such a hard time with the church when it comes to money. All they want is our money. Really? Tell that to the people at McDonald's. Go in, order your order, pull up and say, I'm not giving you any money, but give me my hamburger. Because you're just in it for the money anyway. And if you don't do it, I'm leaving. They go, Bye better to church now. Yeah, you understand. It's what we believe. But the Bible says that money answers all things, which means I can know your character by looking at your checkbook. I don't want to look at the person and smile at them. They don't, they don't want to say anything. They just say, like, really? I ain't doing this. I'm not doing this. I believe you say that. Yeah, I'm saying it." <laughs> the heart decides. What's in your heart Dictates to you the direction you're going to move in. Do not allow the enemy to rob you of your focus or stop you from completing your assignment. So easy. So easy. And I'm going to pick on you a little bit. I hope you don't mind. You know my heart. You've lost Ellie, you've lost Al. It's so easy, the enemy, to tell you, shut up and sit down. It's over with. You've lost your your mate, your your life mate, soul mate, your spiritual priest of your household. So easy. Don't let the enemy tell you that nonsense. God's still got it under control. We know where they are. We know they they touch thousands upon thousands of lives. We know they're, they're dancing in the kingdom and if they could talk to you right now they'd say really you know they would of course Ellie would take 22 minutes and Al would take about 10. <laughs> Ellie's got a he, he's don't he's, anyway. ask him the time he'll talk about different watches and different clocks and different times and different seasons and then he'll come back and go oh by the way it's just a uh, quarter after <laughs> you know that's the truth come on now do not allow the enemy to rob you of your focus or stop you from completing your assignment. Conviction and comfort, now get this, conviction and comfort do not live in the same block. In other words, if I know that I'm doing what is necessary and right, it's not always comfortable. How many kids you got? How many? You love them, don't you? He's always comfortable with them. Oh, I see It's not. She is convicted in her heart as a mother to be the most godly mother she can be. But it's not comfortable. No offense. <laughs> it's not easy. Being married's not easy. You I go. marriage is a piece of cake. What world are you living in? <laughs> I've been married forty three years. Did you ever? Did you ever stop loving her? No, I've never stopped. I love her more today than I did day, day, day we got married. But man, it's been a heck of a ride. <laughs> for her as well as for me. Maybe more for her than me, I don't know. But there are moments. <laughs> and anybody that says there are no moments, shame on you, we'll bring you forward. You can confess your sin and he will <laughs> forgive you. Because <laughs> there are times that she would like to have just killed me and said, God, I think he died last week. Because <laughs> I've done some stupid things in our marriage. Really stupid stuff. I bought some stuff I should have bought. <laughs> I made some really crazy decisions and she's still here. You notice I use me and not her because I wouldn't have gotten the same collapse. I would have never gotten the same response. <laughs> Conviction and comfort do not live in the same block. Never allow circumstance to define your future. It is God who is your source and not man. Whew. So easy to let men get involved and control our destiny. Only when God now get this. Only when God becomes your priority, will you become a valuable asset to the kingdom of God. When God becomes your priority, I said, when God, when when you when you're talking more about God than you are Fox News, you're spending more time in the Bible than you are watching CNN. You're sharing more about Jesus than you are about what's going on in the world with your friends. When you're spending more time celebrating and worshiping God than you are telling jokes and laughing at stupid stuff, I'm not saying not to tell jokes. I'm just saying don't make that your priority. I like a funny joke once in a while, but I don't like it all the time. Get 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 your priorities straight. Right. Second Kings chapter two and verse two. I'm going to go through it real quick with a story, and because I'm not going to read the the, the chapter. But we have a story where Elijah is about to be taken out of the world. God's going to take Elijah up into heaven. He has a a, a servant, Elisha, who's been serving and waiting on him. And so as he's going through this process, the man of God says to his servant, what is it that you want? Now, you need to understand, you don't need to be, and he's already gone through the process of, you don't need to go with me. You stay here. He says, listen, what's in my heart is to follow you. Therefore, I'm not staying here regardless of what you say. He ran into a bunch of prophets, 50 prophets. What are you doing? You master. He said, shut up. Don't even talk about the master being taken. I'm, my, my job is to be with him until. So he went through this process. So now the, the master looks at him and after all of these things, and he saw that this, this guy is not going to be deterred from purpose and destiny. In serving him. So he says, what do you want from me? He says, I want a double portion of what you have. He says, you asked a very hard thing. You notice he didn't say you asked an impossible thing. He said you asked a hard thing. Folks, there's nothing impossible to God. Impossibility only lives with men. Impossibility doesn't live with God. With God, all things are possible. So he says to him, "If you are there, when that God takes me up." So here it comes the chariots of fire. They come down and they sweep up the man of God, and boy, he takes off. And what comes floating down is his mantle, because his mantle represented his position. It was his identity. To his relationship with his God. Oh my. He picks up this man and he goes back to the river that they had walked across. And he says, Where is the God of my mentor? The God of heaven. And he takes it and he strikes the water, and the water parts. And he walks over. You know what's sad? None of us really understand what took place there. Because what he did was give you a type and shadow that when you have the right mentor in your life, you have a right to a double portion from them if you follow them to the end. (laughs) Wow. So the prophets who saw him, they said "Uh, he's got the same spirit. As Elijah. But then they said, well, maybe God took him up and dropped him off somewhere in the mountains. And, and can we go search for him? He says, don't go search for him. God took him. And so they convinced him to go look for him. So when they went and looked for them, they couldn't find him. He said, I told you, you couldn't find them. That's like a lot of people in the church today. You hear a word from the Lord from the pulpit, whether it be me or one of the pastors or wherever it's at. And you go out and you go searching to see if it's true or not. Only to find out later, wow, that was true. Woo! (laughs) Now watch what happens. Write this down. If you're taking notes, you can put it on the screen. But what you choose to believe will determine your failure or success. What you choose to believe will determine your failure or success. What you choose to believe. Now, you might be believing something that's not right. But what you choose to believe... I had a person in my office one day and we were talking about some things and 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 and, I, and, I, and they were about, about a situation that happened and I and I pulled out all of the information and laid in front of them. I said, here's, the, here's the, the evidence of everything we're talking about. They looked at me and they said, But I still choose not to believe that. What are you gonna do? I said, What are you gonna do? I'm going to get mad at get mad. I said, fine, believe what you want to believe. I just, just got the evidence that proves everything true here. And you chose not to believe that. So live with it. I won't go into detail on that, what's happened and where they're at. But It's a mess. If you believe in untruth, you will reap the harvest that it will produce. Number two, the mentor you choose to follow will strengthen your character. Who and what you respect will qualify you to receive. The mentor you choose to follow, will strengthen your character. Mentors are not your friends. I've had people come in the, years, will you be my mentor? I'm not gonna be getting phone calls from you at 12 o'clock midnight. I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. That's not a mentor. There's a difference between a pastor, a shepherd, who will get your phone calls at 12 o'clock midnight, or mentoring someone, you understand. A pastor is what we do, but there's other people that I mentor. Now, because I mentor them, I treat them different than I treat you. Because God said, as a shepherd of the, of the family of God or, uh, and things of that nature, I've got to treat you differently. But as a mentor, I can say, shut up and sit down. I can say, you're wrong. Don't do that. You see what I'm saying? As a shepherd, I can only lead and guide and protect See what I'm saying? I've got to show a little more concern, a little more love, a little more understanding. But as a mentor, I'm not there to do anything but to help train you for your future. I'm looking at at Minister Wilder, Dr. Wilder, and I would've hated to have him in boot camp. He's not the man in boot camp that he is sitting here. As a Marine, he didn't care whether they liked him or not. He was training them for a future assignment. Therefore, he was the mentor in that moment to prepare these men that their future would have success. The mentor you choose to follow will strengthen your character. You're not there to be your buddy. And who and what you respect will qualify you to receive. Number three. The vision that you embrace will create friendships. Revelation is an enemy of isolation. Wow. The vision that you embrace, what are you, what are, what are you running towards? It creates friends. Nobody loves me because you're going nowhere. Nobody knows what you believe. Nobody knows what you want. You're just just a knot on the log. But if you've got a vision, vision is never built in loneliness. God always has people that surround you with your vision. Number four, the truth that you're willing to accept will correct your failures. See, it's not a sin to fail. It's a sin to accept your failure. I oh, couldn't help it. No, you couldn't. So now what do we do? We don't do it again. Let's learn from it. I said, let's learn from it. The truth you're willing to accept will correct your failures. It's a light that shines even at midnight. And your most difficult failure, if you let the Word of God come into your life, and that truth of the Word in your life does not allow you to stay in that failure very long. Paul said, I got knocked down, but I got back up. I went through times of confusion and doubt, but I got my mind back straight." Wow. Number five. The atmosphere you live in will be the breeding ground for your thoughts. Life is not built on convenience. It thrives on purpose. The atmosphere, you need to look around and see who you're talking to, you're hanging out with. You know, I talked a bit about that last week that when God began to move on my life and my wife's life and, and began to make a change in our lives, that I had to break friendships and relationships and walk away from stuff. Not because they were bad, it's just that they were not enhancing what God had called me to do. Just because somebody's nice doesn't mean you should hang out with them. Come on. Let me tell you something. If you're a business person today and you have your own business, find somebody who's successful in business and hang out with them. Don't hang out with the other losers who went bankrupt. You want a good marriage? Find somebody who's got a great marriage. Don't hang out with somebody who's been through three divorces. I don't mean that ugly. If you've been through three divorces and remarried, you're doing good now, praise God, I'm happy for you. But at the same time, please, you're not going to be teaching our class to newlyweds. <laughs> Come on, folks, get real. Y'all look at me like I'm crazy. The guy yesterday, I'm getting off 95. He is he's out there, he's dirty, he's filthy, he's going to think, and, and, I, and I roll my window and said, say, hey, come here a minute, I need to ask you something about a sermon I'm preaching tomorrow, could you give me your, your input in this? You say, Bishop, that's stupid. Really? How many dumb people have we asked for information that have no have idea what we're dealing with? And there's always somebody, if you say something to the wrong person, they're going to tell you something. Hmm. Put on a concert years ago. I had a man we were walking across the campus. And he's telling me what I need to do. You need to do this. You need to do, that, you need to do that. And I'm getting frustrated. Finally, I just stopped and I said, let me ask you something. He said, yeah. I said, how many of these concerts have you ever put on? None. How many of you ever been involved with? None. I said, why not you shut up and leave my life? He said, excuse me. I said, there's your car. Leave. He said, why? I said, because you've got nothing that will benefit me in putting this thing on. You're a nice guy, I like you. I'll wave at you when I see you, but I'm not listening to you anymore, goodbye. (laughs) Said you didn't do that, I most certainly did. (laughs) The people you allow in your circle of life will influence your heart's desires. It's been said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. (laughs) Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Number seven, that which captures your time will become your God. Satan is a master thief of time. We must learn to redeem the time. Let me tell you something, the older I get, the more I realize that every second of every day is more important to me than yesterday's. I do not have the luxury at my age of spending the currency of time on foolish things. I don't have that luxury. Time is so valuable to us. Number eight the seeds that you sow will determine the value as well as the type of harvest you are looking for. The seeds that you sow will determine the value as well as the type of harvest you're looking for. It's the lifestyle that I live. My, my mom used to say this to us because whenever we went out, as kids growing up, I never went to school. Now we, and we did not come from money at all. We were very meager type of, not even, not even middle class. We were below middle class at that time. And, um, but we'd go to school and the teachers all go, do you, do you get your clothes dry clean?" I'm in second grade. No, no. <laughs> Looks like your clothes get dry clean. Who does that? My mom. What do you mean your mom? My mom washes them. She starches them. She irons them. My dad taught us how to polish our shoes. We always looked like a million bucks. My mom said, you're going to fake it till you make it, so when you make it, nobody knows you were faking it. Come on, folks. Seeds that you sow determine the value as well as the type of harvest you're looking for. It's a lifestyle. Your life will go in the way of your priorities, so learn to choose wisely. I'm going to close up. Musicians come. Your life will go in the way of your priorities, so choose wisely. Life goes in the way of your priorities. If your priority is whatever it is to do, then that's the way your life is going to go in. What you allow to enter your life will determine what will exit your life. (laughs) What I allow in means something has to go. Hmm. So if I allow into my life a time frame by which I'm going to, let's say, start working out in the gym, Sean, Sean, that means there's some things that you will not be doing because you have replaced it with this. What you allow in your life will determine what will have to lead your life. So choose wisely. Time, I said learn to redeem it, honor it, and respect it. It never stops moving forward with or without you. Your gifts and talents... Oh, get this. Your gifts and talents, they will need structure, purpose, and discipline. God, help us to get disciplined. I was listening to a thing the other day, and they said that, that when it comes to sleep, deprivation that there could be some physical problems they have to deal with, but if not, usually it's because we do not have a discipline or time frame of when we go to sleep and when we get up. Oh, I go to bed at 10, I go to bed at 11, I go to bed at 1, I go to bed at... It's amazing. Watch this now. People are valuable assets. Learn to listen to them and learn from them, value them and respect them. Never forget that life is not a race to the finish line, but life should be a journey that God himself has designed for your success. You're fearfully and wonderfully made by God. God had a plan for you before you're ever formed in your mother's womb. God says, my thoughts toward you are good. And my hope for you is incredible success. So learn to let go of the past. Do not allow the present to capture you and live your life in the identity of a living God's family, he's chosen you as a royal priesthood, a holy nation set forth for the praises unto him. Thank you for listening. We trust that what you heard today has encouraged you to live the abundant life. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on our website, AbundantLife.tv, or follow us on Instagram at AbundantLife underscore TV and Facebook at Come to Life. And remember, God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you.